Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. In this episode, I talk with Mary Milton, a quite new but very active member of the Seamills community here in Bristol. She's involved in a number of projects, including the Friends of Seamills Library and the Seamills and Coomdingle Community Podcast. But I talk with her about Seamills 100, the centenary project that explores and celebrates this garden suburb's social history. The project has culminated in a micro-museum, a number of outdoor events, and most recently, a book, entitled How Lucky I Was, A Book of Seamills Memories. It's a fascinating journey into a place with a remarkable history. Built originally as a pragmatic but utopian council housing estate for veterans of World War I, Seamills can tell us a lot about what housing can mean. We hope you enjoy this episode of Shelf Life. Hi, welcome to Shelf Life. My name's Paul, and today I'm talking with Mary Milton from Seamills. Hi, Mary. Hi, Paul. Hi, welcome to the show. It's a bit more streamlined today. It's just the two of us. Um, but yeah, could you tell us a bit more about yourself, what projects you're involved with, and what we'll be talking about today? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I live in Seamills. I've lived here for about six years. And in 2019, the suburb was 100 years old. So I have been running a project started just before then to celebrate 100 years of Seamills. And it's it's still going. It just sort of got a bit of momentum. So we just sort of carried on with it. And also COVID kind of got in the way so we couldn't finish everything. So I'm still here celebrating 100 years of the wonderful Seamills. And you've made a book that you're going to talk about? Yeah, yeah, we've um, we've made a book. It's called How Lucky I Was, and it's some reminiscences from people who lived in Seamills, sort of between the 30s and the 50s. Yeah, great. Okay, so um, so yeah, we'll be talking about that history more and your project with that uh, shortly. So we tend to sort of um, warm up our episodes by having a bit of a chat about what we've been reading. So uh, is there anything that you've been reading lately or that you've enjoyed yeah I, I mean I think perhaps like many during lockdown I found it quite difficult to concentrate on on reading but I mm. really got into using um borrow box the app and, yeah me too yeah and listening to books great um and I listened to um the unlikely pilgrimage of Harold Fry oh yeah which is by uh Rachel Joyce um and it i i mean it's it sounds quite somber but actually it's a kind of voyage of discovery it's it's a a chap who one morning um gets a gets a letter to tell him that an old friend is close to death and he tries to write her a letter and he's he writes this kind kind of quite ineffective letter and he's on his way to the post box to post it where he suddenly decides that instead of posting the letter, he's going to deliver it personally. And he sets off to walk right across the country to see his friend who he hasn't seen for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And, and the book's really about his, his own thoughts, um, and his own voyage of discovery into kind of his thinking about his own life, his reflection on his life while he's walking. And, um, I listened to this a lot while I was walking around sea mills during lockdown um going for my sort of daily walk or when we could walk more you know mm. um 
and quite often late at night as well. So I was walking and I was listening to a man reflecting on his life while walking. Okay, yeah. Uh, and, sounds like that would work quite well. Yeah, it was really nice, actually. And it, it's quite, um, while it's got some heavy themes in it, mm. it's quite gentle. Mm, yeah, I've so, heard like yeah. it's, it's quite an uplifting read. Yeah, it's kind of vaguely humorous. It's sort, sort of gently humorous. Mm. And, and yeah, I enjoyed that very much. And, and I thought that actually having it as an audio book was a good format for it as well. I'm sure it's a lovely read as well, but I enjoyed listening yeah. to it that way. Yeah, great. What, what Have you been reading something? Uh, yeah, well, I've been listening to a lot on Box as well of audiobooks. And uh, there's one I mentioned a few episodes ago that I wanted to read this year that I just got around to, which was Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adeyemi, which is a kind of young adult uh, fantasy. And uh, so it's like sword and sorcery, but set in West Africa and with like different themes, like it kind of looked at police brutality a bit and resisting authoritarianism and looking at sort of the messy alliances that you build when you're doing that. Uh, but with like magic spells and creatures and a bit of romance thrown in and stuff like that. So yeah, it's great, great story. Uh, just like quite a fun story, but with like, you know, dealing with interesting topics and stuff. And so I've actually went straight on and read the sequel as well, which we've got on there. Oh, you know, a book's good when you want to read the sequel straight away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And that's being made into a film. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, you know, um, I, I looked it up just before this, um, that the Harold Fry book's being made into a film as well. Oh, cool. And, um, Harold's going to be played by, um, Jim Broadbent, which is exactly how I imagined him. So that's really nice. It doesn't always work, does it? When they yeah. make a film into a book. Um, yeah. but actually that works for me. I'm very happy. Lovely. Lovely. I'll, I'll try and read it before it comes out. I think that would be a good idea. It, it's always nice to have read the book first, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so shall we now get to talking about C Mills and go a little bit deeper into that and yeah. about your project that you've been doing? Yeah, meanwhile, back in C Mills. <laughs> yeah. So you start, yeah, so you were telling us about the history, about how it was built as council housing at Garden Suburb in what, 1919? 1919 is when they started, yeah. Yeah. So when was it, when did people start living in there? Well, 1919 is when um, when it kind of all started happening. And we've got a fabulous oak tree in the centre of Sea Mills, which mm. was planted then to, to kind of commemorate the start of not only the estate here, but the housing estates and the suburbs all over the country that were being built. So that's kind of mm. right in the centre. And by the end of um, 1920, there were a few houses finished. There were the houses in Sylvan Way, if people know it. Those were the first ones that, that were built. Um, the people started moving in. Um, mm. And it must have been a really kind of strange place to live when it first when you first moved there like a lot of places that get built now i think that people people move in and things aren't finished um you, there's half a street there's things being built there's no proper road sometimes there's yeah. quite a bit of mud about there's no shops there aren't facilities i think all those things that still happen now for anyone you know who's moved into a like a new estate were happening then as well um right yeah 
And actually, Derek Robinson, who wrote the foreword for our book, which is called How Lucky I Was, um, his parents moved to Sea Mills before he was born, and his mum had some recollections about that. My father is from uh, Northumberland, and my mother is from the, the south of Scotland, Berwickshire, and they came south uh, in the 1920s, really because there was no work in the north of England. Uh, he had been a drummer in a pit orchestra, uh, came that came to an end when silent films came to an end. And uh, he, he saw the opportunity of playing uh, percussion in the Bristol City Police Band. So he came south and joined it. I don't think he expected to be a policeman uh, in particular. He expected to be a musician, but he ended up as a policeman mus musician. Uh, and uh, they got married, uh, I think it was in Leicester, where the family had moved, uh, and uh, they came down to Bristol. I think probably because he was a policeman, it gave him some kind of priority in getting a, a, private, a council house, which were in considerable demand. Uh, and uh, they moved in at a time when... Really, the houses had just been finished. And my mother said that she looked out of a window and saw nothing but a sea of mud everywhere. The hedges hadn't grown, uh, the grass was non-existent. And she said to herself, what have I done <laughs> leaving Scotland? But she um, stuck it out and uh, lived there for the rest of her life. It was quite. It was quite an interesting um, way that it started to be built because it was post First World War, and there were lots of shortages. So both shortages of material, but also um, shortages of, of um, skills and manpower as well. Mm. So some of the first houses were that were built were built um, on a metal frame. So it was they're called Dolonkos. Yeah. But it's a really clever construction because they build the steel frames first and then they put the roof on straight away. Mm. So you can carry on building underneath the shelter of the roof, even in okay, yeah. poor conditions. So it's actually really clever, I think. Um, and then the, the walls are built, um, by putting a kind of, uh, chicken wire mesh over the frame. And then it's, then it's rendered and it's block on the inside. So this was because there was a shortage of bricks at that time. Mm. So, and this was also quite a fast way of building it. So right, if you think, yeah. you know, um, Christopher Addison, the architect of the Housing Act was there watching a tree being planted in 1919. And by the end of 1920, there's people moving in. I mean, that's quite quick, isn't it? Yeah, especially given, as you say, the restrictions of the time. Yeah. yeah that's really interesting. 
Um, and it sounds like it was really successful. Something that struck me looking through your book is that there are people with like certificates saying like, oh, you've lived in this council house for 50 years kind of thing. So people stuck around. Yeah. And that was one of the things that surprised me when we started doing the project. Not that people had stayed around, but that I'd originally envisaged it as a history project. Mm. Um, that people would do some research and find out who the first people were to live in their houses. Um, I didn't expect that we would meet those people, but what right. actually happened was we found that quite a few of those families certainly were still there and they'd say, Oh yeah, this was my granddad's house or this was my mum's house or we've wow. only recently yeah, just yeah. moved out of that house Brilliant. or, or it's still in the family. So, so it was kind of, um, it started as a history project, but it ended up being about families and about community that's that's still here. Right, yeah, brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, can you tell us a bit more about the project? What sort of thing did you do? Um, well, I guess our sort of flagship thing is that um, we've created a, a little mini-museum that's in mm. what was quite a derelict telephone box that was at the end of um, St. Edith's Road on the square, sort of on the junction of Shirehampton Road and, and St. Edith's Road. And we we had a, a little group of local volunteers who have lovingly restored that, actually. They've done a brilliant job of painting it, and um, we've got cabinets inside that have got some little museum exhibits in and a notice board um, with some interpretation in there and also an audio device in there which you you wind up and it will play an audio his oral history to you yes um, you have to give it a bit of welly <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's great i've been into it and it is you know it's a bit like stepping into a tardis and then you've got your only your, not so big <laughs> not so big on the inside except that there's all the stories there's all the information in there yeah. and it's, it's a bit like you pick up the telephone and hear someone's story Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, once you wound I, it up, yeah. Yeah, I really wanted it to be a phone initially, but it just, <laughs> it was just too expensive to do it that way. Yeah, the unit yeah. we've got in there is brilliant. And, and I love the idea that you wind it up because it's all self-powered and, you know, we, it, it feels kind of environmentally responsible as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, um, it, it works really nicely. And you've actually got that as the logo on your, the Seamills 100 logo it has the telephone box on it. Yeah, that was sort of that. That was kind of the central idea, along with people doing a bit of research about the the house that they live in, yeah. whether it's their house or whether they're a tenant or however they come to be there. Mm. Um, and we used our local library to to do that. So we used um, uh, Seamills Library, mm. um, and we got together in little groups and used the computers there and used Ancestry. And the, the library were great. They got all the um, street directories for us yeah. so that you could, the first thing you could do was look up your address and find out who used to live there in, in 1920 or, or whenever it was built. Cause obviously the first ones, there were people there that early. Yeah. But then, you, you know, successive houses were built and you could find out roughly when yours was built and, and the name of the head of the household there. And then you brilliant. could, do other research to, to find out a bit more about them. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and that, yeah, that's actually available at the moment because of the pandemic. People can do ancestry at home to do some of their own research. Which... 
Yeah, it's a really good opportunity at the moment if people do want to do a bit of research because Ancestry is is free from home um, mm. with your library membership. Um, yeah, just for like uh, the next few months. Yeah, it's till till the end of this year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you have a clip about the library from the Seamounts um, 100 Oral History Archive. The other thing that um, made a great impression on me was Seamill's Library. Um, I didn't read before I went to school. um, And when I went to school, I didn't find it difficult to read. But I loved going round to the library. I really, really did. I loved the fact that there was a children's section and then there was the adult section. And when you went in, you always turned left and there was the children's section there and lots of lovely books to enjoy. And I also used to take them out with my ticket. And I remember when I was about 12 or 13 thinking, oh, I think I can I think I can go into the adult section now. And I remember that transfer going from that half of the um, the children's section into the um, adult section. And they used to have daily newspapers and they had sort of boards. They were inclined and they had the newspapers up there and people would be reading the newspapers. And that was Jill Slee talking about the library. So, yeah, you've also done events. I went to an event where you had a, a live band playing and uh, some history, local walks and things and little displays outside of people's houses, talking about the history of those houses. Yeah, we we did it on the actual anniversary of um, 100 years. Since since the uh, the tree was planted on Seamill Square, we kind of made that our 100th anniversary. Yeah, and the, um, the tree is called the Addison Oak, isn't it? And it's yeah, still going it's, strong, the tree, isn't it? It's still going very strong. Yeah, named after Christopher Addison. So Christopher Addison was the it was the MP, so he was mm. uh, the Minister for Health at the right, time. Right, yeah. And he's an interesting guy because he was um, – he had been a doctor – but he'd given that up um, and gone into politics, the reason being that he felt he could make a bigger difference to the health of the nation by being a politician <laughs> than by being a doctor. So Interesting, yeah. one of the things he did was get this act passed that allowed um, local authorities to build the sort of housing that Seamills is. So mm. large-scale um, council developments, but he was very keen on them being the sort of garden suburb design that that we have in C Mill. So lots of light and air and space with the idea of promoting health. Yeah. Mental and good for wildlife and things. I've seen it mentioned on Springwatch actually, garden suburbs being like good for like garden wildlife and things. And and the fact that these were built these were built for ordinary working people. That was that was yeah. the idea. I yeah. mean you had they weren't cheap though. I mean the rent wasn't cheap you had to have a decent job to live here mm. but it was that aspiration that you're kind of your hard working okay, ordinary yeah. family ordinary man ordinary family um, could live in this sort of housing and it's very uh, the housing here is very like some of the housing in nearby stoke bishop yeah but obviously the the prices you know, at the time, would have been very different mm, for living in yeah. one, living in the uh, living in the other. Yeah. So it was this idea that everyone's entitled to a nice place to live, 
which yes. still rings true today. You know, I, I, I wish, I wish that, I wish it was true that every, everyone deserves a nice place to live. I wish that everyone did have a nice place to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I kept kind of jumping in there with extra things. Did you want to say any more about the sort of events that you've done as the project? Or anything? Um, the, the one that was for the, um, 100th anniversary, people showcased the research that they'd done on their houses. On, yeah. They put boards outside their houses. My, my kind of way of explaining it, uh, initially was that we wanted to turn the whole of Sea Mills into a kind of, a kind of museum, but not, not that idea that some people have of a museum where it might be a little bit stuffy. I'd, I would argue that museums mm. aren't stuffy, but you know, um, mm. outdoors and just with a small amount of information on a board outside your house saying something interesting about the house, who mm. used to live there or, or something else about, about what happened there or, or, or whatever you'd managed to find out. So, so people found out all sorts of interesting things. Um, they talked about the people who lived there. They talked about who was born there. They talked about things that happened nearby. Um, so we have we have a farm, a seamills farm. Now I can't remember the dates, but a very long time ago there was a murder yeah. on the farmland. So there was oh. some information about that. It's very gory, and you have to go and look it up on our website. Hmm. Um, and a lot of people talked about World War Two. Because we mm. had um, we had American soldiers on the golf course, uh, the right. Shirehampton Golf Course, which is right next to Sea Mills. So okay. a lot of the local kids spent a lot of time trying to get sweets off American soldiers, and it's one of the major memories when you talk to people about growing up in Sea Mills. That is the thing that people tell you. Yeah, actually, Geoff Winterhart did a little cartoon about that in the book. Yes. And so the latest part of the project is that you've released this book. Um, could you tell us about it? Yeah, the, the book was always going to be part of the project and it was mysteriously titled Printed Material in my, <laughs> um, in my funding application because I wasn't really sure at the beginning of the project exactly what that would be. I didn't know whether it would be a history book that, that maybe I would write or, or whether it would be the material that people researched about their houses and we'd, we'd just put that in, you know, take it off their boards and put it, put it in the book or whether something else would happen, whether it would have pictures. Mm. We didn't really know what we'd, we'd find. But what happened, which was, was absolutely amazing was, um, a lot of people wanted to tell their stories of growing up in sea mills. And some yeah. of these people weren't people who lived here live here now they were people who were brought up here and then went off to do something do a job elsewhere and have settled down somewhere else but have really vivid good memories of being raised in sea mills or visiting their grandparents actually in one case so there's um i think it's seven stories in the book um all written by people who remember it fondly yeah yeah it just wasn't something that i was expecting to happen i thought that the project would be people who live here now talking about mm. yeah their memories of growing up here or people who live here now doing a bit of research about what happened in the past 
Yeah. I didn't think we'd be getting all this input from people all over the country. And actually, mm. on our Facebook page, um, there's people from all over the world um, wanting to know what Seamill's like now. I now live in, you know, Canada or Australia. So the book's been written by some of those people. Mm. Uh, so we've got lovely stories there. There's um, a couple of sisters who were brought up at the post office. And the first chapter is entitled Every Child's Dream. And it's about, she describes it as growing up in a sweet shop. Yes. Um, <laughs> and talks about her memory of um, of nicking the sweets before they went out into the shop because they all used to be stacked up on the on the stairs uh, waiting mm. to go up to the stock room. Um, so there's some lovely there's some lovely memories there. And her sister writes about um, about being evacuated uh, mm. during World War Two. Yeah. Um, and and they write slightly differently because. One of them's that little bit older, so her yep. memories are slightly different and, and perhaps a bit more about being worried about the war because she was right. that little bit older. Mm. Um, whereas some of the younger children, um, it all felt like a big adventure. Yeah, so did the war end up featuring quite a lot in the in the stories that you heard? Yeah, definitely. I, I wrote a little bit in there that, just sort of put that a little bit in context, but mm. I, th I think the age group of the people that were, were writing it and looking at that era, um, most of the stories are kind of from the 30s and 40s and a little bit into the 50s. But if you yeah. were around that time, the, the war kind of affected absolutely everything and yeah. changed absolutely everything. Sea mills would have suddenly looked very different. There was um, an air raid shelter on the square, for example, where there's now oh, a right. children's playground. So yeah. that, the, the actual the tunnels for that are still are still underneath there. Oh, right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that figures very large in, in the book, but in most of them write about it in a very like, like it like it was an adventure it was all about picking up shrapnel and you know mm. pretending to be an aeroplane and 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 how they all talk about there being a lot of freedom yeah we've we've already talked about the green space and the the idea that sea mills was supposed to promote you know using that green space and the the kids certainly did they all talk about that they all talk yeah. about the, the freedom to roam and the, the freedom to be out with their friends, mm. just just playing. Yeah, yeah, great. But yeah, you were saying that there was less indoor spaces, like there wasn't originally when it was first designed a pub, there wasn't originally a library, they sort of came later on. Yeah, that's true. And there, there's, there isn't a pub currently mm. in Sea Mills. And then there kind of never has been, they were always just right on the fringes. Mm. Um but the things that Seamills does have are things that, and we found this out, or I found this out as part of the project. Lots of people knew mm. already, but one of the things I found out is that a lot of the things that Seamills have has are here because the community have said mm. we want that. So there wasn't a library, but there was a campaign, and the community said we want yeah. a library, and eventually there right, was a yeah. library, and we wanted or 
people in the 50s who were here wanted a community center. So they raised money and they organized things and they mm. built a community center. Um, it's now closed, but that's a whole other story. Um, and the churches even actually right at the beginning, one of, one of the first community buildings that appeared, um, through a lot of hard work was St. Edith's Church, not the one that's there now. It was in a, in a wooden mm. hut that had been purchased, um, and transported to Sea Mills. And it, that remained there for a very long time as the, as the church hall, even after the, um, the church had been completed. But that was put there because some people got to back together and said, we want a church. Right, yeah. So, it, you know, I, I'm sure many other areas are the same, but, it was an area that it got things because people organised hmm. yeah, and got them. And I I think yeah. that's fab as well. I think that says a lot about a community, that they could get together and yeah. organise that. And uh, how much is still uh, council housing, do you know? Um, I believe about a third of females yeah. is still um, council housing, which which I think is, is, is great yeah. because that is... That is the idea. That is what council housing mm. is for, isn't it? I think, think it's, I think it's very, very sad that the, the houses that have been sold more recently, that money hasn't gone back into yeah. council housing. Um, cause there's a lot of people here who bought their council houses very early on, even before the right to buy. You know, there's always All been right. opportunities to buy for people to buy their council house. Mm. But what, what I understand is that, historically that money went back into building more council housing which is obviously really needed yeah. um and it was only right to buy that changed that for that money goes centrally and it doesn't yeah. go back to to bristol city council to build more houses um so i'm glad that we have still got a good mm. stock of council housing here because it means that people have the opportunity yeah. to live here brilliant um so yeah what do you feel like you've learned from from doing these projects I've learned a lot that the best thing that I've learned is, is about the value of our community. Yeah. This project, I, I mean, I'm sat here talking about it now, but this project isn't just me. Yeah. It's lots of volunteers from all over Sea Mills and wider field who have really got behind this and made the phone box happen, yeah. made the research happen, made the book happen. I mean, the value of community and just what you can do as as a group i guess i've learned that i've also learned from the book i've learned that you can never proofread something too many <laughs> times because <laughs> something always sneaks yeah. through hopefully not too much just the value of like what you can get done as a community is the thing that really stands out for me and how important that is to just try and get out there and be part of your community yeah it's brought me a lot of pleasure and I know that it has for other mm. people as well. And, and it's brought, um, it, it, it was a catalyst to build, to bring some neighbors together as well. Yeah. Um, and I think COVID has only made that happen more. Right. Yeah. There's some people who, and certainly myself became quite reliant on people that I'd met, met during the project. Right. 
during COVID because hmm. we had to get on with our neighbours, didn't yeah. we? You know, if you wanted something, they were the people that would be able to help you. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that you would encourage our listeners to do or any sort of asks for, for the listeners? Yeah. Well, if you live in Sea Mills or ever have, write about it and send it me because hmm. I'd love that. I'd love to hear more. Um and photographs, all that. We've been collecting tons and tons of stuff. Great. We'll make sure you, we put your contacts in the show notes. Yeah, that that'd be great. I'm really interested in hearing from people who've got contact, got connections with Seamills. But you know, for anybody, I think there's a tremendous value in writing your own history or the history of where you live, because it was those those really kind of seems like a really ordinary thing those were the things that were really interesting when when people wrote them down and sent them to us mm. you know just the experience of um you know that growing up in a sweet shop and the sound the door made when when people came in into the shop from the accommodation behind and the things that stick in your head yeah. from being a small child yeah. You think because one day that is going to be something that isn't happening to people. There will mm. be things already. Um, young people probably can't imagine what life must have been like before mobile phones. Yeah, you know, if you can remember that, that's a bit of history. Write it down. <laughs> you know, and to, to share with your family, with your friends, and with the people that come after you. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. And where can listeners get hold of the book? Yeah, well, the book, the book is selling very, very well. Um, so if you want a copy, grab one. Um, it's on sale at the Cafe on the Square in Sea Mills. Yeah. Alternatively, you can get it online from us at seamills100.co.uk. It's £5 at the cafe and then from the website is five pounds plus whatever the postage and packing is to get to you wherever you are. Um, and also the public library's got a couple of copies at Central Library. So, um, yeah. yeah, if you want to read it for free, that's the place to go. Yes. It's called How Lucky I Was, a book of Seamills memories. Yeah. And it's got, it's got a foreword by uh, Derek Robinson, who's a fairly well known, uh, local author who also happens to be a Seamills boy. So we were very lucky to have him as well. So I think it's time to wrap up the episode. Uh, Mary, did you have anything else you wanted to add? or have we sort of No, covered? I don't think I did. It's been lovely to talk to you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. And it's great hearing about the, the history stories and the stories of you learning about these histories and working with the community. Yeah, it's quite in inspiring. And I'm looking forward to more because we're, we've actually got some more collaboration with the library kind of lined up. So yeah, looking forward to working with you more at Seamus Library. Be fantastic. I'm really into using our local library. Yeah, brilliant. And also thank you for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can reach us on the usual social media channels using the hashtag Shelf Life Bristol. We'd like to give a shout out to Luke, a volunteer for editing and transcribing the podcast, and Will, a library assistant at Avonmouth and C Mills actually, um, for his work helping polish off one of our episodes. Also a huge thank you to Dan Davies for the theme tune and Ollie, a library assistant at Noel for the transitional music. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.